Tight knit. Tight knit. Tight knit. Tight knit. Tight knit. Tight knit. Workforce from the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Foundation. All right, come on, let's go. Welcome to Tight Knit, Workforce Development. I'm Shannon Kaysen. Tight Knit is a series about the many ways people are working to build stronger relationships and communities. Season two follows teens and adults seeking to work, from new jobs to new careers, and the structures that either support that or make it difficult. I just bought my pass. From here, we just wait for the bus. It's a waiting game, waiting on the bus by myself. That is the voice of Jack Philbrick. He's an assistant producer on our show. He's on the city's west side waiting on the Detroit Department of Transportation bus. Okay, I see it. How's it going? Are you going to Chandler Park? Chandler Park? Okay, thanks. Jack's on his way to the Mopar Manufacturing Center in Centerline, Michigan. At least, he's pretty sure he is. That's where Detroit resident Darius Carmichael used to work. We met him at the Durfee Job Fair in Episode 4. Darius was disappointed to be looking for work again, partly because Mopar had been relatively easy. I was hired as a uh, custodian. And so the shift that I was working, uh, they stopped the shift. And it was like the only shift that I could take without having to catch a Uber or a Lyft back to a third shift. I could catch a bus there and back. So I had to catch two buses, so. Darius worked at Mopar from 11 at night to 7 in the morning. There are a couple of routes he could have taken. We asked Jack to try one of them. Let me bring Jack in here for a minute to explain the situation. Hey, Jack. Hey, Shannon. Tell me about why we're taking Darius's commute. We wanted to understand the challenges that he would face using public transportation. Riding on the bus is a challenge. I used to take the bus to school every morning, and oftentimes I'd be late. Tell me more about it. Yeah, Detroit's mass transit has a bad reputation, and we wanted to understand what that meant. In Detroit, about 25% of people don't have their own cars. And in Buffalo, it's about 30%. That's according to the U.S. Census. Okay, so how far was Darius traveling, like, distance-wise? Yeah, he traveled about 14 miles from his neighborhood near Durfee to a suburb called Centerline. By car, that's 20 minutes. But Darius didn't have a car. Right. Google Maps said his bus trip would be two hours, and we wanted to find out what that was like. We've heard transportation is a major barrier for job seekers in Detroit and Buffalo. We've heard this from experts, workers, and even employers. Okay, so we're going to hear about your bus trip throughout this episode. We've left you on your first bus. When did you start? I got my bus pass at 11 a.m. and boarded the bus at 11.30. Then I had to find my next bus. Oh, there's uh, two two buses out training. They have the uh, training coach uh, signs displayed on their bus. That's kind of cool. But I'm at Connor and Warren now and just uh, trying to figure out where to go next. It's a busy intersection. I think I see it though. 
So the next bus is coming at 12.53 and it's 12.02. So it's gonna be an hour <laughs> waiting for the 13 bus to take me someplace to get on the uh, 510 bus to my destination. Which is crazy. It's just really hot. I'm um, I'm starting to feel a little defeated on this reporting trip. It sounds like Jack is having a, a somewhat of a time there. I'm interested in learning how this whole journey goes. We'll check in with Jack again later in this episode, and we'll talk more about transit too. Transit isn't the only barrier we're discussing today. In our last episode, we heard about the paper ceiling jobs having degree requirements that aren't necessary. We also heard that employers lose applicants when they automatically screen out people with criminal convictions. But for all those barriers and more, we've also learned people in businesses finding ways to work around them. And those are the groups that we're talking to today. Uh, to help me discuss these issues is producer Carrie Jr. II. What up, Shannon? What up, though, Carrie? Uh, welcome back. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm excited and ready to share what the team's been working on. I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to hear it. Tell me more about barriers. <laughs> All right. So I'd like to start out by telling you uh, about a collective that helped solve a transit issue. It's called Employer Resource Network, or ERN. They worked with some companies in Saginaw, Michigan, that couldn't get their workers to the plant. Here's the CEO, James Vanderholst, explaining it. And we've uh, had this done in Saginaw, where the companies piloted the program, partnered with STARS, which is the mass transit up there. And now this is a special uh, van program under the mass transit up there. So many of the employees lived in the townships. And so this was a way for us to expand the reach of mass transit. So it's funded by the employers and the employees pay a fee for it. Um, but other community members can also use it now because it's been integrated into the mass transit system. So the company helped fund a van program to get their workers to the bus lines? Exactly. With the help of an ERN. Okay. What, what is an ERN? Well, there's ERN USA and then there are local ERNs. Local ERNs are partnerships between businesses that solve common employment problems. Vanderholst came up with the idea when he was an executive at a manufacturing facility in West Michigan. We had a revolving door of employees that would be referred to us from Michigan Works or from um, Goodwill or some of the other um, agencies that had uh, workforce development contracts. He said workers would not stay long after getting a job. Turnover costs are high, so in an effort to figure out why workers are leaving, they made some cultural changes. But that wasn't enough. We had a 401k and an employee assistance program and tuition reimbursement. But when we surveyed our employees, none of them were utilizing those benefits. What they needed help with were those issues that we talked about, transportation, et cetera. So it was really focusing in on how do we help them overcome those life balance issues that prevent them from getting to work. And if we do that, then they'll be a better, more productive employee. 
Vanderhoes developed a model for regional businesses to collaborate and figure out what employment issues they had in common. Each ERN could focus on solving their problems, like the transit one in Saginaw. They now have 27 locations in 11 states. There's an ERN in Rochester, New York, and another one is in southwest Michigan. They typically are made up of healthcare and manufacturing companies. Okay, so Carrie, tell me how it works. Break it down for me. Yeah. So each one is a little different, but they share some common features. Think of a blog post. There's always a headline, a graphic, and some text. But the context and the style is unique. In an ERN, there's always a group of regional businesses that partner. At the executive level, they learn about each other's employment issues, the solutions they have worked so far. On the ground, there's always a shared success coach. That coach spends time at each business's workplace and is available via phone. Any worker that has a work-life issue can meet with them or even get referred to the coach. We track about 32 different service category areas from navigating government assistance like Social Security or DHHS or unemployment insurance or um, immigration issues. Now, the coach doesn't do all of those things, but they know who in the community does and who has dollars at what times of year. So they're kind of like a, uh, a concierge at a hotel. For example, a coach may help a worker whose utilities are cut off. Some workers come looking for assistance for job training programs that fit their schedule. And coaches even help parents find summer camps for kids. Okay, so some of this sounds like human resources or would be a task for human resources. Yeah, it it sounds like it, Um, but it's not quite that. It's outside the scope of HR most of the time. Sometimes workers have concerns that an HR officer might hear their problems as signs that they cannot do the job. Hmm. The coach is not an employee of the company. So I assume this keeps workers on the job and reduces turnover for the company. Exactly, exactly. Vanderholst pointed to a Society for Human Resource Management report that estimated how much it saved them. They say that uh, to replace an employee uh, who's been with the company a year or longer is about 50% of their wages. And so we try to be a little bit more conservative. So we use um, 25% of their wages. So they assume it would cost an employer about a quarter of the money they had paid their former worker. For a $10 an hour employee, and it's about $5,200 is the cost of turnover for that employee. So, you know, if you lose, um, you know, 10 people, that's $50,000. You know, if you lose, you know, 50 people, that's $250,000. Okay. So how much do ERN save companies number wise, like in real numbers? By their math, the return on the company's investment in a success coach is between 300 and 800%. Meaning if the company paid ten grand to be a part of an ERN, they got thirty thousand to eighty thousand dollars back. Wow, that that sounds like a like a deal that anybody would take, any company would take. Are there any downsides? Vanderhoel says collaboratives seem to work better with small and mid-sized companies. And a company has to be willing to make the upfront investment and stick with it. All right. So let's check back in on Jack, our assistant producer, who's headed to Centerline. It's been two hours since he got on his first bus. If everything went to plan, he should be at Mopar plant right now. Now I'm trying to find the five. 
I just got off the 31. Do you know if this bus is going north? I'm trying to get to 8 Mile. Okay, thanks so much. I appreciate it. I missed I th I think I missed the bus I needed by a minute yeah so I missed that five bus I needed by a minute I crossed the street to see if uh, to see which direction I needed to go in and I looked down and see it about five stops down the street past me. Missing that bus just added 30 or 40 more minutes on Jack's trip. I am starting to get thirsty. This Sunoco at the corner of Mac and Van Dyke is tempting me. Man, a pop does sound nice. I'm just thinking, Carrie. What you thinking? Jack gave himself two hours for this trip. Mm -hmm. He's burned through that already. It's summertime. There ain't a bus shelter in sight. (laughs) These are looking pretty rough. Yeah, if he was on his way to work, he'd definitely be late. Or late for a job training of some sort. Now, these Masons, they start their apprenticeship programs on time, like 7 a.m. sharp. And if he was headed to a job interview, he'd be a sweaty mess. Most definite, most definite. Actually, Shannon, hiring is the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. Let's get into it. We've talked before about hiring manufacturing workers based on skills and not just degrees. What if I told you healthcare systems are doing something similar? Carrie, now don't you for the most part need some sort of degree or certification to work in healthcare? I mean, you would assume so. I mean, technically, it's not required for the Trinity Healthcare System in Western Michigan. I'll explain. Trinity Health is one of the first healthcare systems to create an apprenticeship program. That's according to Shauna Lewis. She's their vice president of talent acquisition and workforce development programs. Employers need to take um, some responsibility to help train. That means that we also have to help our own colleagues and those in our community help themselves. We started talking about apprenticeship programs. How can we take a play out of the playbook of manufacturing and construction and other um, sectors that have had apprenticeships for quite some time. Trinity Health is a national not-for-profit healthcare system with facilities in 26 states, and they have a history of developing training programs for healthcare professionals. There used to be a rule, you know, when you hired that a person needed to have, you know, 80% of the skills that you were looking for, and the other 20% as an organization, we would make the investment. That number is significantly changed. Um, you know, we're looking at does a person have 50%, 60% of what we need? And, and as an organization and as leaders, you know, do we have the tools and resources to develop the rest of it? Okay, so wait, uh, Trinity hired people who were underqualified, then trained them? Yes, but the people who were hired that did not have a healthcare background were typically hired for entry level positions. And once they became employees, they could train for higher positions. I see. I see how that works. They were able to do that through an initiative called Rise Up Michigan. 
It was a three-year collaboration funded in 2019 by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, and it was between Trinity Health and two other groups. One was West Michigan Works, uh, which is a state unemployment agency, and The Source is the other one. That's a nonprofit. Sounds like a lot of organizations getting involved. Why did they need three organizations? Yeah, so each one played a pretty crucial role in their Rise Up program. Trinity Health was the employer and facilitated the professional training. West Michigan Works helped recruit and prepare applicants. And The Source provided wraparound services, just like ERN. What do you mean by prepares? Uh, Was that a test or is it like healthcare training? Kind of. West Michigan Works developed applicants' soft skills. There's some resume building and assessments thrown in there. I spoke with Angie Barksdale, the chief operating officer of the program. She said they created training based on what skills companies said they wanted in a worker. What are those skills that you you are looking for in an, a, a successful employee? Outside of the hard technical skills you get at community college or a training program. And so we identified those and we have a pretest and we have modules and a post-test, right? So it's also helping a job seeker understand that employers are looking for more than just the certificate or the, the hard skill. Plus, the program helped applicants identify their transferable skills, ones they may not recognize. So I did this job for 10 years or 20 years. So that's the only thing I can do, right? No, you have a lot of skills in that particular occupation that may be transferable to a whole different industry. So that's how Trinity built a pipeline and expanded its population. Yep. Was it successful? So over three years, they hired and upskilled about 120 workers through the program. And they estimate that those individuals' wages increased $1.2 million. But that's not Mm -hmm. the only program that had a positive impact on hiring. Now, what was the other program? It's currently called Higher Reach, and uh, Higher Reach teaches employers how to hire based on an evidence-based selection process. Evidence-based selection process. Okay, go into that. What is it? Yeah, uh, so Mercy Health originally put it together back in 2010. They are a division of Trinity Health. The process screens candidates for their skills and personal strengths instead of their relevant work experience or their degrees. Hiring managers may not know the candidate's name or the names of their previous employers ahead of time. It removes the potential for unconscious bias. Okay. Okay. So how is that different from the other program? Uh, So you watch basketball, right, Shannon? I did. I played a little bit too. All right, cool. So I got an analogy for you. Imagine you're a coach and you have a, imagine you're a coach and you have to draft a team of NBA players for a pickup game but you don't know the players' names, you don't know what they look like or their individual accolades. All you have is just a list of skills. It's kind of like that. Okay, like putting together a dream team. I don't know who it is. I just got the the information. Mm-hmm. So you, you don't have any biases there. You can't pick your favorite players or players from your favorite teams. Uh, okay, when, okay. So when Mercy Health started looking at candidates that way, they reduced turnover by more than 20%. They doubled their employment diversity, and they reduced the amount of time it took to fill jobs. Now, when you say diversity, what do you mean? Black and brown workers, workers with criminal histories, older workers. Remember, more than 70% of black and Latino adults don't hold degrees, so degree hiring instead of skills hiring can cripple diversity. 
Now, in our last episode, we talked about the high percentage of black men with criminal records and how that limits their job options. Right. There's a lot of reasons for that, from mass incarceration to poverty and more. Inside, incarcerated people often can learn a lot of skills, but they typically cannot earn a degree. Has this worked anywhere outside of the hospital? It has. In 2018, West Michigan Works and Talent First launched a version of Mercy's program. That's the Higher Reach program. The city of Grand Rapids, manufacturers, and Davenport University have all participated. Thanks for reporting on this, Carrie. Sure thing. Let's check back in with Jack. Uh, he's been on three Detroit transit buses so far, and he has one more to go. And that's with another transit system called SMART. Jack, where are you now? So yeah, even that 510 that was supposed to come at 2 o'clock is now coming at 2.20. So here, a longer wait. Three hours so far. And not even travel 14 miles to the custodial job. Yeah, so the 510 just pulled up at 2.05. And this would be the uh, bus I get on to keep going to Mopar. The last bus. Jack's in the studio with me now. Hey, Jack. Hey, Shannon. What up, Jack? Okay, Jack, so did you did you get on that last bus? I didn't. I gave up. Oh, wow. Okay, why, why did you give up? I gave up because I was exhausted. My feet were sore mm. from waiting an hour between bus stops. Also, I was out in the hot sun because a lot of these stops didn't have bus shelters. The stops were also hard to find. I had to use one app to track the bus and another to pay for my fares. Now, I only had to deal with this for one day. But if you're relying on the system, you have to put up with this every single day. You know, I only took Detroit buses once when I was in high school, went to Southwestern, which doesn't exist anymore. But if I if if the bus was late, I was late for school and it was late often. Yeah, Megan Owens has a lot of stories like that. She's the executive director of Transportation Riders United. That's an organization advocating for better transit in southeast Michigan. I got an email just this morning from someone saying that for the second time in a week, their their 625 bus didn't show up and they're at risk of losing their job because the bus didn't show up. So it sounds like you weren't alone. Maybe it's a driver shortage. I know that's a significant issue in Detroit as well. That is an issue, and it impacts how many buses are on the road. In Detroit, buses run on major corridors like Woodward, Gratiot, Grand River every 15 to 20 minutes. On Detroit's less busy roads, it's every 30 to 60 minutes. And you had to travel from the city to the suburbs now, do the county's transit systems coordinate with each other? Not much. DDOT doesn't go to the suburbs. So the suburban system is called SMART. They have lines in Macomb, Wayne, and Oakland counties. So you can get to Oakland County, but getting from one place to another, it might be more challenging. How does that affect the riders? Let's say you live in southern Oakland County like Berkeley. You probably can't mm -hmm. get to a job in Novi, which is on the northwest side. That is starting to change. 
In November, their voters approved a transit expansion. Rochester, Rochester Hills, uh, Novi has long been a, a spotlight of there's so many uh, jobs, especially entry level jobs at a mall or a convention center, but there's no transit to get there. That will sh- soon be changing, but we still have huge gaps. And uh, I'd say the biggest ones are Livonia and Plymouth and Canton. Those are huge communities. These are not small, small little burbs. These are huge communities with tens of thousands of people. Yeah, because our suburbs are, are pretty large. Now, Carrie. Yes, sir. What about Buffalo? How, how about Greater Buffalo? Yeah, uh, Western New York, Greater Buffalo has a regional transportation system. It's called the Niagara Frontier Transit Authority. So buses there are similar to Detroit. They're scheduled to come every half hour during the day and about every hour in the evening time. There's also a rail system there that has one line that goes right down the middle of Buffalo. It runs from downtown to the University of Buffalo South Campus. And because it's a regional system, the transit extends to the suburbs. So there's overlap there. It looks like the poor transit system would have an impact on the job market. Is there any research that that shows that or backs that up in any way? There is. Harvard released a study uh, about it in 2015. Transportation is the single biggest factor in escaping poverty. Another study found that reliable mass transit reduced job turnover. Okay, so perfect world, like everything's just right. Uh, What would good transit look like? Owens told me that good transit has three things in common. So that access and reliability uh, are the core pieces. Then we really want to also look at sort of convenience uh, and a really great transit system. You don't have to schedule your life around the transit. It's there when you want. And Detroit Department of Transportation, or DDOT, is trying to get there. They have a plan called DDOT Reimagined. DDOT Reimagined. Tell, tell me what that is. Yeah, so the department has laid out all of its shortcomings, all of the things that riders have told them that they need to improve on and come up with some immediate solutions. Those are the ones that they can implement with their current funding. And then they made blue sky solutions, like if they had all the funding that they needed. So if they could do anything, what, what, what are some of those things? Yeah, those blue sky solutions involve 24-7 coverage, more bus shelters, more buses, and better pay for drivers. Carrie, where is Buffalo in their planning process? So the Transit Authority released development plans for this year, 2023, and they include plans to increase the number of bus shelters and change how riders pay. But most notably, the Transit Authority has revived plans to expand the rail system. The most recent plan includes an extension from University at Buffalo South Campus to its North Campus. And right now, the group is assessing the environmental impacts of that project. Now, it can go a number of ways. How how are people reacting to the Metro Rail expansion? Yeah, there's some support, um, but there has been pushback from the community The expansion includes underground construction, and the rail would surface and run near residential areas. So some residents have started a petition to stop the project. Their website lists concerns about construction blasts in the vicinity of the residents and that the construction could displace people. You would think expanding transit would be a good thing. Yeah, 
expanding could also look like buses. And according to the organizer's website, that's what they prefer. So, Jack, you had a man, I feel for you, but I, I mostly feel for Darius. And you had a rough ride just getting out to Darius' old job. Uh, how do you feel about the Detroit transit system, our bus system? Would you use it yourself? Yeah, I have been trying to use the bus a lot more. But like you said, it's hard for people who rely on transit in Detroit to get to the places that they need to be. Um, there's just instances where a car is more convenient. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I am trying to use it more, especially going places where time is not of the essence. Well, thank you, Jack. And and thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks, Shannon. Collaboration seems to be the name of the game today. Companies are working with each other to find employment solutions. Government agencies working with nonprofits and businesses to reduce bias hiring and expand access. And taxpayers coming together to expand transit to indirectly fill jobs. Like I said earlier in the season, workforce development is a thousand piece puzzle and we're just getting the picture. In our final episode, we'll hear from thought leaders in Detroit and Buffalo and get their take on some of the issues we've explored. This is Tight Knit. I'm your host, Shannon Casey. Tight Knit is a series from the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Foundation about the many ways people are working to build stronger relationships and communities. It's hosted by me, Shannon Kaysen. Our supervising producer and editor is C. Stachura. This episode was produced and reported by Carrie Jr. II, Jack Philbrent, Rob St. Mary, Courtney Wise Randolph, and Selena Robles. Mixing and sound design by Connor Anderson. Music supervision by Sam Bobian. Music from Blue Dot Sessions. Video production by Jonathan DeShane. Our executive producer is David Lyons. Big thanks to the team at Lafayette American. If you like this podcast, let us know by leaving a rating or review. You can find out more about workforce development at tightknit.org. You can also find us on social media at RCWJRF. Thanks for listening.